This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone. This is Gargi, and today I have with me Professor Sanjay Krishnan, who teaches at Boston University in the U.S. He's author of many books, most recent of which is V.S. Naipaul's Journeys from Periphery to Center, published with the Columbia University Press. Hello, Professor Krishnan. How are you today? I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Uh, as always, I'd like to start with the beginning. What is the genesis of this book? How did this book came to be? Um, I, I had been reading Naipaul for uh, some time, and um, my I, my initial experience of him was uh, that he was quite an eye-opening writer. I found him shocking in parts. You know, I was very moved by some of what he wrote. Um, and so, but my initial uh, experience of Naipaul was very much a personal one. Um, he really kind of rocked my world at first. Um, and this had nothing to do with my intellectual interests in the sense that, you know, I was still, uh, you know, an undergraduate and, and, and actually I started reading him before undergraduate years. And then I stopped reading him for a while because as I became more intellectually aware, I realized that people were criticizing him for his political views, for what he said about, you know, non-Europeans and so forth. So, I, over over a period of time, I, I sort of circled back to Naipaul um, to sort of ask myself um, why it was that I had been so moved by him as a young person, if in fact everything he said was so bad, uh, if in fact he was such a, an awful writer and an awful person, and so this sort of led me to sort of reread his work. Uh, and um, and in the process, I developed a very different perspective on him. Uh, which had to do with his own sort of um, historical formation, if you like. So that was the genesis of the idea, an attempt to sort of revisit some of the early experiences of Naipaul in light of what I had sort of come to become, uh, had become aware of um, through a more sort of uh, self-consciously scholarly and intellectual uh, trajectory in graduate school. Yeah, I think this book, can also be read as a biography of the author. Um, is it, however, meant to be read as a biography? That's a good question. I don't think it's meant to be read as a biography because the focus of the writing is the is the work. I'm really trying to engage with his ideas with and also with his uh, artistic enterprise. So I'm really focused on... Show, showing how the, an understanding of the life can illuminate the art, if you like. Not so much um, sort of, uh, I'm not trying to tell Naipaul's life story. Uh, I do think, however, that the life story is important 
And this is something that people who are very critical of Naipaul uh, miss. They don't get it. They don't because they're so focused on a kind of an ideological position or a or a sort of a framework of you know which is defined by post-colonial studies uh, that they don't that they can't enter into the perspective from which Naipaul was writing. So for that reason, the life aspect of it was very uh, important to sort of situate Naipaul in his time and place and to show how that history and that formation were um, fundamental to the kind of art that he produced. Mm-hmm. Significant here is also the theme of travel, which is in the title of this book. How how important is for a critic who wants to analyze his work to consider his, his the travel in his writing or his travels? I think the travel is very important. Um, you know, Naipaul says somewhere that you know he, his early years uh, as a, as a writer were very informed by the European tradition of, of of the novel form, and you know, growing up in Trinidad in a colony that was all he had to sort of build upon as a writer, but. Um, uh, but this was a very limited this 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 European tradition of the novel form, you know, whether it was Balzac or Dickens or Stendhal, uh, you know, uh, gave him a very uh, sort of a uh, particularistic or a very narrow view of the world, and so travel actually filled out a kind of a broader understanding of the kind of history that he had been born into. Uh, and because when he was growing up, uh, there were very few books that had been written about uh, the colonial periphery um, from the perspective of people with his background, indentured immigrants, for instance, he couldn't really just go to some library or uh, seek out a place from which he could um, learn about, uh, fill out that, that, that broader view. And so he was forced to actually, or, you know, he felt compelled to begin by traveling. And if you look at his trajectory, he begins his travels really within the West Indies. You know, he writes uh, his first travelogue uh, about um, uh, five Caribbean islands. uh, And then he sort of expands from there to India, which is the, the, you know, his ancestral birthplace, and then beyond that to other parts of the world. So there's a gradual sort of opening out. Um, he, He builds on what he actually actually knows, which is at first the, the West Indian world, and then uh, in, a, in a different way, the South Asian universe. Uh, and then from that, he kind of fills out his universe, uh, his understanding through reading history and, 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 and comes to a, a broader perspective uh, on the world. And this comes to enrich his own fictional work. Uh, you know, so there's a kind of a recursive aspect to the, um, the, the, the process. And, and important here is also the subtitle, which is also about the movement from periphery to the center. Can you elaborate what what you mean by what, what does this movement from the periphery to center entail? I think it means it can mean different things. I think at one level, you know, the most obvious level, Naipaul uh, moves from the periphery to the center. He was born um, into an underprivileged uh, or you know economically disadvantaged background and he uh, and his career culminated in his being awarded the Nobel Prize in literature which is um, 
you know as 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 prestigious an award as as you can imagine in the in the world of of of, of literature so he does move from the periphery uh, to the center uh, you know uh, you know from that sense in that sense um, I think there's also a way in which his own sort of writing um, moves um, from an examination of peripheral spaces such as the one that I described to uh, metropolitan spaces, uh, including England, uh, as he does in The Enigma of Arrival uh, and other works, other late sort of works. So that, you know, you know if you think of like fiction, uh, Half a Life and, and, and so forth. Um, uh, and so, so there is a sense in which, the, the, you know, he's sort of moving from the periphery to the center as part of his own examining of uh, of his of his formation and his connection to people uh, with backgrounds similar to his own. I think it's also from periphery to center in the sense that Naipaul uh, appears uh, to be writing about marginalized and historically subjected people, but it turns out that the perspective he brings to bear on these questions actually have a more fundamental and a more sort of central uh, impact on um, the 21st century, the global 21st century, because so much of the periphery has also moved to the center in many different ways, whether in terms of historical themes, uh, migrations, uh, political uh, overlaps, and so forth. Um, The periphery and the center are no longer as divided or as separate as they might have once, uh, might once have been thought to be. Yeah, uh, and a lot of people who 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 read V.S. Naipaul uh, would be aware of how critical he was about non-European societies. Uh, and in the book, you claim that these statements should be placed in the context of his seriously writerly engagement. Can you give an example of how that would work? Um, sure. Uh, well, you know. He, you know, if if um, there are many examples of this, um, one example that comes to mind is um, the way in which um, Naipaul was trying to understand why the optimism he felt as uh, about um, post-colonial spaces, including um, Trinidad, his his birthplace, Uh, why the the initial optimism he felt uh, about the the creation of of an inclusive uh, national culture did not uh, pan out and what that said about his own lack of understanding about his formation. So uh, he attempted as a writer to sort of make sense of this, uh, of this, of this failure of understanding, and 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 the writerly sort of project led him to a far more critical perspective on uh, the, uh, the, the 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 forms, the way in which identities were being shaped, and the ways in which identities were being understood uh, in uh, within nationalist discourses, and how um, the failure to sort of reflect critically. On the historic, the histories by which these identities had been produced, um, uh, fed into uh, a kind of a growing sort of toxic uh, uh, blend of ethno-nationalism and nativism in different places. So the the criticism that Naipaul uh, uh, sort of produces in his writings have a lot to do with um, the 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 early uh, the very early um, appreciation 
for the uh, the way in which post-colonial uh, identity politics would 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 um, would go. This this very early intuition that Naipaul had, and he had it as early as 1960, 1961, was, was really denied by post-colonialists and post-colonial scholars. If you look at post-colonial studies, there is really very little appreciation uh, of this uh, until um, the late, uh, until the 1990s. You know, it's only when Rwanda and all these issues begin to sort of come to the fore that people begin to say, oh, you know, maybe this is something we ought to talk about. For the longest time, I think, especially in post-colonial studies, um, decolonization was seen as a, a, an act of moral rebalancing rather than a political process that was fraught with danger. And I think Naipaul was, to some extent, punished for 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 not sort of towing this this line um, because there was a sense in which. To uh, to sort of argue in a critical to to look at the uh, the 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 um, the more complex aspects of this process was to be guilty of blaming the victim, which is not what I think Naipaul was doing, uh, you know, in his writing. Um, and so this is why he came to be uh, understood as a very um, uh, anti-European or you know or a kind of a pro-Western or Eurocentric writer, which is a misunderstanding, as I argue in the book. And, and why was that? Why was this reluctance in post-colonialism to accept um, the, the criticisms that they were getting from several quarters, not just now? Well, this is a very complex story. Um, it's, it's um, it, you know, I, I don't know if I can sort of, um, you know, give you a full explanation. But one thing I will bear, I will sort of point out is that the main, um, the most important uh, figure within post-colonial studies was Edward Said. And Edward Said um, was very, very uh, uh, critical of Naipaul. He he was very opposed to everything that Naipaul wrote. And if you look at Said's own position and Said's own intellectual formation, it's very clear that he drew inspiration from the anti-colonial nationalist movement or anti-colonial nationalist ideology as it was articulated by Franz Fanon. And, and particularly the Fanon of the Wretched of the Earth. So, you know, so Said's understanding of post-colonialism was very much shaped by Fanon and post-colonial studies as it developed was very much shaped, was very much sort of like coming, you know, drawing, was drawing very much from the Saidian influence. Um, and, and, and I think that Said really uh, saw the uh, the anti uh, sort of uh, took to heart the the, the binarisms of, of 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 anti-colonial nationalism and sought to import it into post-colonial studies. So he made post-colonial studies into an essential sort of binaristic sort of understanding of of of, of oppressors and oppressed. Uh, he wasn't really very interested in exploring the unevennesses, the fractures, the tensions within the colonized communities, the, the uneven ways in which colonialism affected different groups, um, the ways in which literary texts were very much engaged in exploring them, the ways in which ethnic minorities experienced uh, nationalism in different ways than did uh, the majority populations. These were questions that were, I think, really flattened out by the Saidian analysis uh, in culture and imperialism in particular, even though he sort of makes gestures at these at these points, he doesn't really sort of enter into these um, 
enter into these terms. And so, 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 so post-colonial studies becomes an, in, an increasingly sort of moralizing in its approach. It sort of, it sort of becomes a reify resistance as the sole template through which the past is to be addressed, right? So I, what I think of as a historical analysis of the sort that Naipaul was providing, and Naipaul was a flawed writer, he wasn't sort of perfect, um, could not, was no longer legible to to the the post-colonial uh, approach because the post-colonial uh, needed to sort of understand the world in a certain way Naipaul didn't fit that sort of uh, the template and so he was therefore he fell afoul of the post-colonial approach um, and I, and one concern I do have about about the the, the, the post-colonial approach in that sense is the is the way in which the the, the, the moral uh, or the moralizing uh, uh, framework of resistance sort of uh, um, uh, seems to sort of excuse people from think it seems to make people think that they don't need to sort of understand the his- historicity and the specificity of different uh, political terrains they can simply sort of substitute that with a kind of um, uh, you know, moralizing critique, um, which is what Naipaul was not interested in. And um, you have divided Naipaul's career into three phases. And uh, so the first is from 1955 to 1961, then from 62 to 80, and then from 81 to 2010. Before we talk about these phases, uh, I want to ask you, why is there a need to do this? For the most part, that was it was because I think Naipaul's, you know, these were the divisions or, or the sort of the the breaks that I saw in Naipaul's own formation as a writer. I think the the early period, the early phase that you just identified, um, was really a phase in which Naipaul was shifting from a primarily sort of the kind of European formation, European training he would have had uh, as a, as a student in in a Queen's Royal College in Trinidad, in doing everything he could to win a scholarship. Uh, to study at the University of Oxford, uh, and it was uh, very difficult to get that scholarship. Only one scholarship was awarded every year when he was taking the exam. So, uh, you know, so he had to sort of, as it were, uh, sort of, you know, immerse himself in a kind of a European thinking. And the same thing happened at Oxford. And so he really didn't, uh, you know, when he began his career as a writer, he was primarily a sort of a, a comic writer, a writer who was sort of not really as well informed about the histories of the non-West. Um, and, and, and I think that, that you know, the, the early phase of his career was very much about him sort of uh, moving towards uh, a, a more sort of... Um, uh, uh, sort of nuanced sort of appreciation for the historical developments that were taking place around uh, around uh, the world at the time. This was the era of decolonization, uh, and so the the uh, the the period from sixty two to eighty is when Naipaul actually sort of really sort of immerses himself in in a more sort of non European in non European context, and his initial response sort of actually led him to a quite a dark vision of the third world. I think it culminates in the 70s um, in works like In a Free State and In a Bend in the River. And um, it's 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 really uh, I think something uh, is 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 he's done with a fa- of that particular phase uh, with the with the uh, with with a bend in the river uh, because he sort of starts moving 
towards a more um, uh, uh, sort of a richer and more sort of complex vision of, of the non-European world in the 80s, uh, because he's much more interested in looking for how people make a way in the world to sort of adapt a phrase from one of his late works. He's, he's no longer sort of thinking about decolonization as this process that has to be understood objectively and, and sort of given shape through, uh, through, through literature, uh, particularly as it has an impact on minority populations on displaced peoples and so forth to really thinking about the different kinds of conversations that emerge uh in uh, you know in 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 the third world uh, or in in the non-european world um uh that are that are often sort of quite affirming um so 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 the three phases i think sort of align with his own development the third phase is really the phase in which naipaul is more self-critical he's much not self-critical in in, in self-critical in the sense that he's able to sort of make fun of himself himself more uh, than he is in the, in the second phase and is able to sort of bring in more voices. It's a, it's a much more richer sort of uh, play of, of, of voices uh, in the third phase of his career. And, uh, and you highlight a very important contradiction in how Naipaul is considered by the critics. And, and as an Indian, uh, I was surprised when you said in 1970, he was called an anti-Hindu brown sahib, but today he is sometimes linked to the as an apology for Hindu chauvinism and Islamophobia. Why why is there so much of contradiction within the critics themselves too? I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that people don't really read very closely. And people, because, you know, as I said, you know, when you have a moralizing template, when your analysis is driven by ideological considerations, you um, tend to flatten out complexity. And I think that Naipaul for a long time, because of the way in which post-colonialists sought to sort of brand him. Naipaul was, Naipaul was someone whom you knew what he was go, you knew what he was saying before you had even read him is, is what he had come to represent, I think, for a certain kind of critic. And so uh, the this obvious contradiction um, between how Naipaul was branded anti-Hindu uh, and then later as a Hindu uh, fundamentalist or a Hindu nationalist uh, is something that that really escapes people uh, because they don't read Naipaul, uh, what Naipaul wrote. Rather, they seek to project onto Naipaul um, their own sort of perceptions of what Naipaul must be saying in his work. Um, so I, my, my, my advice to people as a literary critic and as a scholar is to uh, 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 read closely um, to to focus on the words on the page rather than bring ideological projections onto bear on your readings, which would, which distort the experience itself. Yeah. And um, I, I interpreted from your book that you're trying to make a distinction between Naipaul as someone Islamophobic or Hindu chauvinistic and Naipaul who sometimes, as you said it, got things wrong. And, is the, is this interpretation correct or i'm i'm wrong here um you, uh, sometimes he got things wrong and sometimes he was islamophobic is that what you're saying you're saying that you know uh, I, I read it that he's not islamophobic he's not hindu chauvinistic but then he did get things wrong oh, I see. yeah but, yeah yeah, I, yeah. I mean i think yeah I, I i yeah sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you yes i i think that's right yeah uh and 
I mean, my question would be then, why is there need for making this distinction that even though he did get things wrong, he's not chauvinistic, he's not Islamophobic or any other terms that you can make make up? So, yeah, so let, let me, you know, I think the, these words like Islamophobic and, and, and chauvinistic are, um, are, are words that are, uh, that they signal a particular kind of position, I think. I think, and uh, you know, someone who sort of, uh, you know, sort of wor- has worked out a certain kind of um, position on Islam, and and is sort of in- interested in propagating it in a programmatic way. That's how I understand it. An Islamophobe, for instance, or a chauvinist is someone who is uh, ideologically convinced of the superiority of their race or their culture or their religion and seeks to sort of write in order to so, to advocate for that for that view at the expense of other groups. Now, Naipaul was not any of those things. However, and it's important to remember this, uh, particularly for post-colonial scholars, uh, Naipaul was shaped by the prejudices of his time. That is to say, he was a person who grew up in the colonial periphery. Um, what people who have this uh, sort of hygienic view of the colonized uh, do not understand is that all colonial spaces, all colonized spaces uh, are informed by prejudice, profound forms of historical um, uh, 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 tensions or, uh, or cultural misunderstandings or, or a failure to enter into the spaces of different groups. This is, for anyone who has grown up in a colonial space or a post-colonial space, this is not a mystery, right? So so what I think of as Naipaul from that standpoint is a kind of everyman. That is to say, the prejudices that he possesses uh, inform a wider uh, swathe of post-colonial society than than we are often willing to acknowledge, and that he is actually attempting to sort of write out of those prejudices. That is to say, he is he is reflecting. The complicit ways in which uh, his writing is being produced in his own sort of work. So when he gets things wrong, uh, if we sort of try to say, "Oh, look, here's the chauvinistic Naipaul," or "Here is the, you know, racist Naipaul," what we have done is we've missed or lost an opportunity to reflect critically on the ways in which Naipaul may be uh, uh, channeling or exposing or reflecting on a much wider uh, predicament within post-colonial society. So if our intention is not to sort of moralize and to be self-righteous, then we sort of move towards a more capacious way of reading, not just Naipaul, but all literatures uh, that allow us to sort of build a more robust, critical uh, and more reflective uh, discourse. So that's that would be my response to the question that you posed, which is a good one. Yeah. 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 No. Uh, no. I think you 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 completely answered the question that I had. Um, uh, what do you hope the readers take from this book? What do you hope the change is if when people read this book and in in the future of in academia when they're writing about my Paul? You know, it's well. First of all, I think that um, people. Um, I suppose the most immediate thing is that you know um, um, that the the kind of simplistic um, uh, readings of Naipaul should really, uh, uh, 
I think, stop because they actually don't, they do a disservice to the people who attack Naipaul uh, without having really read him. Uh, and this is true of many people, as I point out uh, in, in the book. Um, I think the broader issue is, uh, you know, something I've already alluded to, which is that Naipaul was actually sort of pointing to certain fault lines within post-colonial societies that I think scholars or, or critics who are interested in these issues would do well to pay attention to, particularly because... Um, I think in the 21st century, uh, Naipaul has very interesting things to say uh, about, you know, how we can sort of revive or retrieve certain forms of cultural analysis that are more reflective, uh, more open to historical understanding uh, than we have, you know, than we have so far thought possible. Yeah, I hope so too. Um, since this book was now published almost two years ago, I'd also like to talk about your current projects. What are you writing now? What can we hope to read from you? Yeah, I, I am actually. So I'm working on on some some of the some of the issues that I'm working on right now have to do with trying to sort of rethink postcolonial studies um, by uh, opening up the category of resistance or by sort of saying, well, why is how did resistance become so central to postcolonial studies? You know, why is it that you know it's 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 sort of become a kind of a reified framework through which literature is read, and and I think what I'm trying to do is sort of try to provide an alternative sort of way of understanding what uh, novels are doing vis a vis imperialism, which is not just about you know that they're not just engaged in you know the project of writing back to empire, uh, but they're doing something much more complicated that, if taken seriously, can sort of feed a, a, a richer discourse, uh, a, you know, that will help the post-colonial, uh, you know, world sort of um, expand its categories, uh, sort of enrich its terms of discussion. So that's, and so it's really a novel, it's really uh, an attempt to sort of look at a number of post-colonial novels to see how they complicate uh, the story of uh, post-colonial uh, studies, post-colonial literature. That sounds like a fascinating project. And thank you for taking out your time and wish you the best of luck. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Bye.